Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the main event. Introducing Carissa Green Industries. Let's get ready to launch. Today, we're talking with Duncan McAllen, a veteran in the US security industry, covering a wide gamut of technical disciplines. He is now president of Operandus LLC, a company dedicated to improving the security posture of all of their clients using their proprietary technology. Duncan, thank you so much for joining me on this show today. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Awesome. Okay, well, let's just jump straight into it. Sounds good. Tell me a little bit more. What's your elevator pitch? What do you do? Uh, basically, enterprise management and security, which obviously is a pretty broad stroke, but I've spent the past 20 years or so uh, consulting with mm-hmm. Fortune 500, Global 2000, you know, household brand type companies on their enterprise management techniques. So everything from, you know, how to deploy software securely Uh, how to inventory systems, be able to manage and monitor server infrastructure, et cetera. And over that period of time, just made a natural transition into becoming much more InfoSec focused over the past several years. So Mm -hmm. that's where I'm at today, helping to protect and defend our nation's critical uh, organizations from threats known and unknown. Yeah, absolutely. And I think sort of you said before, you know, with this moving into the cybersecurity industry, how did you get started in that? And did you do any formal study or certification? What What's your journey? Uh, yeah, there was some of that, but really, like many in the industry at my age, so to speak, mm-hmm. I had to teach ourselves, right? Because there weren't, you know, the internet forums or, you know, the training curriculum that you see out there available today. And mm. You know, we didn't even really have the amassment of search engines and that technology that you see so prevalent. So, you know, you were having to crack books and, you know, really just put your hands in there, get dirty and, you know, a little bit of elbow grease. Here I am today. But, you know, really, it all started with my career in law enforcement Mm -hmm. or you know, some of the guys in the department knew that I was a hobbyist with computers and approached me. Yeah, they approached me back in, I guess it was 94 timeframe to Mm -hmm. set up a worldwide web page. That's actually how they put it uh, for the sex unit and being able to help educate the university uh, females in the area about rape prevention techniques. So that was how I got started, learning how to code HTML 1.0 and basically... (laughs) Started evolving from there. You know, I was hungry and very eager early on in my career and uh, found a very niche space for myself in that enterprise systems management and tied on to one of Microsoft's products very early in its development. And that has now turned into everything that you see managing Azure and, uh, you know, O365 and Xbox and all the back end, you know, all that is using the same system center infrastructure that I've been consulting with for 20 years. So uh, it was kind of my baby and watched it grow up with me mm-hmm. uh, as a young parent myself. But that was my baby. And 
uh, really just carried it through its maturity. And then, you know, as it started adding more and more security relevant components, uh, that's when the light bulb went off in my head and where I started to make that transition into InfoSec today. And, you know, you spoke about training and stuff before earlier on. Do you, what's your opinion now in terms of, you know, there is a lot of training out there. So how would someone sort of identify the best route to, you know, potentially uh, move across from a different part of technology into security or someone that's new starting out? What, what's your advice on that? You know, the problem is, you're right, there is a lot more training opportunity out there today. Mm-hmm the issue becomes finding the quality training, right? So mm-hmm. uh, you really have to get into the InfoSec culture to start to see where some of these pocket units exist and being sure. able to latch on to those. You know, there's some recommendations that I have. Obviously, Cybrary.it, which is kind of the standard for self-paced, video-based online learning, Um, But it's free, and that's one of the great tools for those that are trying to get into this industry or make a transition from, you know, information technology into information security, want to learn new skills as far as things like Python scripting or firewall configuration or how to uh, spoof a Wi-Fi network, you know, all that kind of stuff you can learn on Cyberary.it. And then from there, you know, just play around in different subject areas because information security is so broad. There's so many different areas of focus (laughs) that it almost has to tie into your personality type. You know, are are you a a jerk type that wants to just hammer at systems? And maybe you need to look at pen testing, you know, and if you're kind of that uh, warrior protector type, you know, maybe you need to be a blue teamer and, you know, making sure you're able to help protect organizations against those threats. Or maybe it's a combination of the two. Maybe you have, you know, the AB personality type and, you know, but you have to dabble in each one of those a little bit to see where you want to apply your uh, area of focus. No, absolutely. I like that term warrior type. That's awesome. And in your opinion, how, how do you explain risk mitigation versus risk optimization to non-technical executives? Now, this is a big problem that a lot of people are struggling with to, you know, I guess, decrypt quite the technical jargon slash language. What's your view and how would you explain this? You know, number one, I'd say, you know, don't get caught up in the paralysis of analysis, right? So we're talking, mm-hmm. what is risk mitigation? mitigation versus optimization and really mitigation is when you know the risks are there you know they're going to keep coming and you're just going to do what you can almost to transfer the risk right not even have to deal with it um you know maybe you're going to say okay we're we're going to be hit by ransomware let's just accept the fact and go out and get a cyber you know security insurance policy Uh, you know that's one way to take a look at your information security, where mm-hmm. the optimization says, let's kill the risk altogether. You know, let's have a strategy that has an end game of, you know, truly protecting and defending our organization. You know, let's eliminate the risk, not just work our way around it. So can you just give some high level steps around, you say, you know, completely eliminating what's very high level, what, what would be your approach to that? Well, 
again, that depends on what the strategy is of the organization, right? Because that's what's going to define the risk to the organization. So absolutely, it, it's kind of difficult for me to just sit here and say, okay, here's a top 10, you know, Dave Letterman's what you need to do to be able to Mm-mm. optimize your risk without knowing what, you know, the business drivers and the technical requirements are of the organization. But that's where you have to start, folks. You have to know what your goals are of the organization, what is the mission of the organization, and what are you doing as information security professionals to ensure that that business or that organization is able to fulfill its mission? Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, you said depending on the organization, do you think a lot of non-technical executives are being perhaps misled by people in the cybersecurity industry? Uh, I, I don't believe maliciously, but I do believe that occurs from time to time because ultimately it depends on where the information is coming from. You may have, um, you know, HR and legal coming to you with particular you know requirements and objectives for their business units and have their own agendas that they're trying to accomplish that are in direct conflict with, say, finance or even information security. You know, so they're having to make these decisions based upon the information that they have at the time. And everybody tends to have their own agenda, even within Infos. Mm. We see this yes. happen a lot where, you know, you're taking information from the engineers that are saying, hey, I just went to B-Sides Austin last week, saw this kick-ass demo of this particular product. We really need this. And, it, oh, by the way, boss, it also has a quarter million dollar license. Um, <laughs> you know. It, yes. It's great, but you know, where's the information coming from, and what are the motivators behind it? I think my just my last question around this particular topic is, you know, there's a lot of vendors and product services. How? What's your approach to non-technical executives? How do they cut through the noise, and what's some of their, I guess, buying process look like? Because they are bombarded with 55 different products. What what's your advice to perhaps someone who does feel perhaps overwhelmed and not really sure where to start? Well, first thing that they can do is, you know, obviously these business decision makers at the level of, say, a CISO or a CTO, you know, there's professional organizations both, you know, in their local areas as well as online that uh, they should definitely be a part of and be able to have their own network of resources that they can reach out to and say, hey, John, have you heard of XYZ you know, product or do you know of solutions that can fit this particular need? They need their own network of, of their peers at their level to be able mm-hmm. to help guide them in the right direction from a trusted source that isn't mm-hmm. uh, motivated by you know, closing a deal. Then, okay. then I'd recommend working with SI or solution integrator partners that have relationships with the software vendors or hardware vendors that they're able to bring to the table and facilitate a knowledge base, uh, proof of concept around these solutions and be able to have the risk and score matrix there to be able to say, you know, based upon your requirements that you gave us, you know, prior to this, Here's a score matrix for each one of the vendors, you know, with the items that we were able to come up with. And here's the top vendor based upon that uh, score matrix. That's something that any SI partner that these organizations are working with should be able to produce. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's a common question that a lot of people do ask. So I think that that makes a lot of sense and a bit more clarity around that. Now, you sent, for, uh, correct me, 1994 was when you started your technology career. Is that right? Uh, yeah, right. right so around. right around that. Okay, perfect. How have you seen your niche change over that period of time? Mm. <laughs> That's a really good question. Um, there, there's just been so much maturity. You have to remember, I got into this before the TCP IP stack was included in Windows. You know? So it, just for people to be able to get on the internet prior to mm. that, you know, with the release of Windows 95, you know, it, it was a monstrous task. So yes. now we have any granny who can go into Best Buy with a credit card, walk out with a laptop on internet uh and that's fantastic <laughs> you know it absolutely is but it's just changed our entire world our economy our our culture our languages uh before long it's also going to change our you know actual physical bodies we're going to end up having really bad eyesight and tiny little thumbs so that we can continue to type away on our devices but my space i have seen equally mature so much over the years uh, you know, the threats have changed, so have yep. the, the responses and what we're able to bring to the table today. It's almost like, you know, playing a chess match that you, you can never, you know, claim checkmate. Uh, it, it, it's constant struggle. They make advances, we make advances. And it's this constant battle, but it, it's becoming so fierce and the tools and the technologies and the processes that we're using, uh, you know, it's just phenomenal to think of where we've come from back in the days of war dialing and BBSs and, mm. and all, all that. But yeah, it, it's changed dramatically. Absolutely, especially when you said World Wide Web. <laughs> you don't really hear that much anymore now, do you? Not really. Well, so. Uh <laughs> a lot of these millenniums or millennial types that you know don't even know what the www in front of the website means. So I liked how you explained that journey. Now, I mean, looking forward, how do you see things heading in this industry? And I know that you're at the coalface for a lot of the big ransomware spikes in the last 18 months. How do you think that's altered the executive perception of the security industry? Uh, so I'm going to take that two part because I kind of heard two questions there. First, yeah, sure. First, where is the industry going? And then, you know, what is the perception of, you know, the security from the, the executive side? Um, first, I see what's happening today with the combination of machine learning, artificial intelligence, um, and even blockchain. Mm-hmm is becoming more and more the de facto standard mm -hmm. of the underpinning, the real engines of both malware and the defenses. So, you know, these organizations, these criminal organizations that are responsible for a lot of the ransomware outbreaks that we've seen, as well as other malicious attacks that we've seen, particularly through uh, the Asia Pacific and Eastern Europe. Um, we know that there's criminal organizations as well as state sponsored activities. And 
you know, these organizations have funding and a lot of it. They yes. have the skills and the resources in abundance. So as they're progressing, as they're doing new things, they're bringing that machine learning, they're bringing that artificial intelligence into their payloads. And just as equally, we're having to play catch up now and using that same ML and AI capability to be able to build into our defensive measures. And I really see both of those over the next, you know, say year or two, having mm -hmm. a spike. And the companies out there that are in the anti-malware space uh, or, you know, perimeter defenses, you know, all they have to do is throw artificial intelligence or machine learning into their website, into their naming and branding, and boom, their stock prices are going up. Uh, just because yeah. that's where everybody sees it going. And if you include blockchain technology into that, I think there's some tremendous things that we're going to be able to do uh, mm -hmm. to come. Now, the other part of that was, you know, how some of this has altered the perception of security within the C-suites. I think if you go back to, let's say, the target breach, and I want to say that was mm -hmm. yeah, sure. four or five years ago at this point. Um, yep. You know, when you lose a CEO as a result of a security incident, yes, I think that shakes everybody up. When you're a Yahoo that in a single day loses $350 million as a result of your valuation because of how you handled a breach, that shakes up the C-suites. That gets their attention. That motivates them to take action, if nothing else, for self-preservation. Do you think so they are, though? I mean, sorry to cut you off there. I think... I think you're right, but I still think there's a lot of people that probably aren't, you know, that the comment hasn't happened to me or, you know, those sorts of very generic responses. So do you think, again, that sort of there's a whole bunch of people who are taking it seriously because of, you know, incidents like this, but there is still a whole big bucket of people that aren't? Well, what I said is it gets their attention. doesn't mean yes. that they're taken seriously yet. Right, got you. Putting forth the executive sponsorship and support at the you know top level and forcing it down into the organization. And I hate to say that, but that's what needs to happen. It has to be a top-down approach. It has to have executive buy-in. And that means, Mr. CISO, give it a budget. You know, that's one of the biggest hiccups right now is there's so much more that these organizations could be doing, but what they're carving out for an InfoSec budget annually isn't going to cut it. They need more resources. They need the tool sets. They need the education, and you have to budget for that. And that's where right now- What type now, of budgets do you think? Are people only really thinking endpoint and they're not thinking sort of holistic approach? Uh, <laughs> you sound stressed even by me asking that question. <laughs> It, well, it's, it is a frustrating situation, and it's one that, you know, you end up beating your head on the wall so often that you eventually just learn to try to uh, mitigate that risk altogether. Um, yeah, the problem seems to be that a lot of times where 
we are going after point solutions, right? And we're not mm -hmm. taking advantage of how do we get more out of what we've already bought. You know, uh, I'm a big fan of use what you own and run it until the wheels fall off. But, um, you know, we've got to be able to have these solutions that can take care of, you know, let's say our login and SIM, but also be able to integrate with other solutions right down to the endpoints mm -hmm. to, to get a better picture of what our overall security posture does look like and hopefully bring some automation into play. And that's going to be one of the key things in the next several months and years to come is we've got to get better about automating a lot of our security responses because we can't keep up with the vigorous pace that these things are coming at us without just you know overblowing our headcount or having so many point solutions and the cost around it without anything working together that we're going to just be in shambles so um, that that automation is going to be key. And for that to take place, you really have to have a lot of integration points between these solutions. So, you know, that's one of the things I'd encourage uh, executives to be asking of these vendors is what other solutions do you integrate with? What APIs do you have available both at rest and, um, you know, in transit and being able to make sure that you're able to get the most bang for your buck, so to speak. Well, I mean, that's that's very interesting because I mean, a lot of these, you know, I worked in the you know the banking and finance sector for a few years, and you know, a lot of them are still running on these legacy systems. So I think very good, you know, question. It's all good having these shiny new toys, but I guess if there's no integration there, then I, you know, are people wasting a lot of money on on products and that they can't really use? Right. Right. And it's, you know, comes down to that visibility and integration, automation. You know, it all starts with how well or how open are you to integrating with other solutions? No, absolutely. So I guess speaking on the solution side of things, how important is a solution like Optics X for enterprises? So that's one of our solution offering branding. So Optics X uh, is kind of a play on the multiplier of your visibility, you know, just mm -hmm. what we were talking about. And in specifics uh, to your security posture. So uh, both for the mid market as well as enterprise customers, we have different tool sets that we bring to the table to be able to very quickly identify uh, endpoints within the environment, both server and workstation, and be able to go through a rapid assessment of what their security posture is reporting all mm -hmm. this information back. And then again, through our automation, being able to very quickly produce uh, some risk score matrix and you know detailed reporting of everything that we've discovered in the environment and where your vulnerabilities are and what attacks are possible as a result. So it's really just giving them that visibility very quickly, very easily in a format that's easily consumable. Now, from there, you know, what we end up finding is that more often than not, customers want to engage us for remediation because ultimately, if all we do is provide the Optics X uh, assessment and reporting on a quarterly basis, every time we go in and do an assessment, produce a report, tell them where the vulnerabilities are, you know, we'll come back mm -hmm. do it next quarter and guess what? 90% of those vulnerabilities will show up on the report again. 
just because they're tasked and overburdened, so they do look to us mm -hmm. as output of that, those engagements to also remediate. Right. So you said before about, you know, presenting in a way that is digestible. Is that palatable for people who aren't technical or oh. is it more for the, like a technical audience? Uh, yes and yes. So it is very consumable for non-technical because that's where the executive summary, the risk um, scorecard and whatnot cool. to play. But then it breaks down where you're able to drill into detail. Okay, so we have 107 uh, vulnerable systems out of the 2,000 that were scanned. That gives an executive a high level, but then we can drill through and be able to get to the detail. Yep specifics okay so we have a remote code execution with a high you know risk factor for you know 10 systems and be able to see which of those 10 systems are impacted yeah no that's good so i guess it gives that a high level landscape for the executive and then it sort of moves more into your subject matter expert to to go and remediate exactly and what are you seeing is the biggest challenge or roadblock to the full-scale adoption of this improved security posture uh, the biggest challenge, I, I would say right now, it's what we were talking about earlier, and that's the mm -hmm. the boardroom, the decision makers at the executive level take seriously enough for there be to be appropriate resources within the organization to be able to effectively manage the security posture. Uh, and, and that may be simply that we don't have enough technical resources in the industry, mm. it can be that we don't have the right training for the resources that we have to work with in-house, or that we haven't allocated enough training or training budget for those resources. And then it just comes down to, again, the cost and complexity of what we're having to deal with on a daily basis. And with limited budgets, with limited resources, how does an executive today um, prioritize where his team is going to spend their time and where he's going to spend his money? Yeah, no, that's right. And I think you sort of mentioned before about taking it seriously. And I think that's one of the things we're trying to do at KBI as well is show and we're starting to, you know, go on that trajectory now of showing the importance of it but in probably a more creative in a different way so people do start looking at it more seriously and it's something that again that they can digest and understand and it's not one size fits all as well because what's important to fin services is not necessarily what's important to other sectors as well in terms of the level of importance the risk and what really keeps people awake at night exactly so if you could give one piece of advice for enterprise organizations to start to adopt today, what would it be? I would say yeah, I'm divided between two things. Um, one would be to take the CIS top five security control and focus on improvements in each one of those top five. Mm -hmm. Now that's going to include things like you know, having a good hardware inventory, having a good software inventory, uh, you know, without knowing what's out there in the environment, how are you supposed to protect against it? You know, those kinds of things. 
And right. that operates, the CIS controls, the, the 20 CIS controls, operate very much on the 80-20 rule, right? So mm -hmm. you're going to spend 80% of your time on those top five, but you're going to you know, get the, the return that you're looking for there. Um, so that's one thing. The other that I would say it's kind of 50-50 is have a cybersecurity risk management plan. Uh, you know, there's plenty of examples out there from MIT, Harvard University. Right. You know, yep. Uh, but really, just get a solid cybersecurity risk management plan in place. Make sure it has executive buy-in. Have your incident response team already assembled that communication plan. You know, all these things go into that overall management plan. But have that in place and make sure that it has executive buy-in and it's understood and, com and communicated to those that are impacted by it. But those are the two things that I think organizations, if they focused on today, they would naturally see as a result the roadmap that they need to have in place and what their next 18 to 36 month schedule should look like. Yeah, no, I think that's a really, really good response. And I, you, you spoke about executive buy-in. I was speaking to a CISO the other day here in Australia, and he said that he was hiring or recruiting for a role that was like a cybersecurity influence lead. So I'm guessing that that's sort of the interface between the, uh, you know, the security function as well as the business. And it might not be someone from a technical background. It actually probably is someone that is a really strong communicator that can take those technical uh language and communicate it into executives that are going to understand and put it in ways like, like you mentioned earlier that people are going to 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 turn their head and go okay yep i'm getting buy-in from that and i think that's something that people should start looking to implement to get that that cyber influence lead so they can go into organizations and say look this is exactly what you need and have that ambassador within your corporation for that person who is advocating to executives, but also to the, the larger organization. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, that plays right down into the business unit level as well. So as you do start to make this maturity in your InfoSec uh, model, mm -hmm. you're going to be, you know, members of your business unit that you're going to want to appoint or, or have volunteer to represent that department because you can speak to them and then they can speak back to those business units in a way yeah. everybody can understand. Well, that's the thing. And I, uh, the way in which I put it sometimes is the language thing is, you know, you, I might be speaking Italian cause I'm, I'm half Italian, although I can't speak Italian and it's like, I'm talking to you and perhaps you're speaking German. We're talking, but no one's understanding each other. And that's sort of a way in which I communicate to people about, technical versus business and how they're talking, but no one's understanding what's happening. Right. We all need to learn the language of mass so that it's universal. <laughs> That's right. Well, Duncan, thank you so much for joining me. And I hope we can get you back again for a follow-up conversation soon. But lastly, how can people get in contact with you? You know, uh, I'm very easily found. Uh, unfortunately, you know, I am a... <laughs> Target for OSINT, but uh, right. find me on Twitter at InfoSecWar. And I'm obviously reachable on LinkedIn, just a standard URL and Duncan Macklin at the end. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. All right. Well, thank you.
Thanks for tuning in. We're looking forward to bringing frequent snippets of what's happening in the security and emerging tech industries. If you think there's someone I should be speaking with, even if it's you, reach out to media at carissabreenindustries.com and we'll try to make it happen.